These days when I try to sleep at night, I am sometimes woken up by flashing blue and red lights. Each time I see them and get a fright, I have to remind myself that I've done nothing wrong. The lights are there to protect me. Hello and welcome to COVID in Africa, a weekly podcast looking at the continental response to the coronavirus. In this episode, we will focus on human rights under COVID, what they are and how they can be protected. I'm your host, J.D. Ramalapa. I was born in 1981. When I was three years old, the white South African government declared a partial state of emergency against black, non-white majority citizens. So my first days of schooling in Midland Zone 6 and 2 were full of excitement. Dodoing and singing of struggle songs on the one side and tear gas and white men in brown uniforms patrolling the streets in Caspers on the other. Memories of my childhood came flooding back as I watched videos of policemen speaking violently to people praying at a mosque while enforcing COVID-19 measures. I remembered one night when one of my late uncles, Tente, had been caught by soldiers. He was a free spirit, rumored to be friends with boys from the Mandela Football Club, which was terrorizing townships at the time in search of traitors or izimbimbi. They brought him into my grandmother's kitchen in Pefeni, made him to lay on the table under the light, and then they proceeded to hit him while my grandparents watched. I was meant to be sleeping then, but his moans and cries of pain woke me up. So I also watched, helplessly. happened so quickly. And I was busy tweeting, you know, I said that they were shooting rubber bullets, tear gas, stun grenades, and mm, used water cannon. Just I could see, you know, bullet wounds in his head, you know, and some blood trickling. And the way he was lying in a pool of blood uh, coming out of his head. Newspaper journalist Bulutau's story of the man in the green blanket made newspaper headlines. It even brought back the violent scenes of Marikana when police opened fire on a group of striking miners in London. A state of emergency under the apartheid government militarized and heavily policed all aspects of South African society. The government clamped down on citizen rights, which also included house arrests, control of media coverage, curfew times and restrictions on general movement. 
These are my memories and the memories of many other Africans who have lived under states of emergencies or military rule. But they also have an eerie similarity to measures being implemented to enforce different kinds of lockdowns across the continent to prevent the spread of COVID-19. But is that really how it should be? Should police be responding in the same way? Is there a way to implement COVID-19 measures from a human rights perspective? Which of our human rights can be removed at this time? Which rights must be protected? Our producer, Rasmus Bits, went to search for some answers and came back with this. Silence isn't the same everywhere. This is what silence sounds like in Cape Town, where I live. And this is what silence sounds like in Lagos, Nigeria, according to the BBC. Streets, traffic-free roads, silence. In the rest of the world, you'll find many other kinds of silence. And while they all sound different, they are, of course, all a consequence of one common threat. COVID-19. In many places across Africa and the whole world, a type of lockdown has been put in place to slow the spread of the virus, hence the quiet cities. And while the global pandemic in many ways has turned the entire world upside down, it's also revealed how in many cases governments have had a hard time changing their crisis response. The the statistics are, are sad and shocking. But not surprising. This is Mausi Sikun, Executive Director of Human Rights Watch Africa Division. What she is sad and shocked but not surprised by is the statistics of brutality and violence by the hands of security forces across the African continent. And they're not surprising because, you know, many of the social security forces and law enforcement across Africa have been historically abusive. The abuses Masi talk about have all happened when security forces have been enforcing different variations of lockdowns or state of emergencies, states of disaster in different African countries. And um, once we realized that, you know, governments were turning to these same abusive uh, security forces um, to enforce the, the restrictions um, and states of emergencies that have been declared in some, pla- in some countries. Um, um, in many places, there are no laws backing them up. Um, some of the, the statements or the declarations of the states of emergencies have very broad and vaguely worded powers, um, you know, that are, are granted to law enforcement and security agencies. When you have that context. It's a recipe for disaster. The irony, of course, is that all these measures have been put in place to protect the people from a virus. But in enforcing them, the police and military sometimes inflict more damage than the virus itself. Quite literally, this was recently the case in Nigeria, where it was reported that security agents enforcing lockdown measures were responsible for twice as many deaths as the virus? Um, I mean, it, it, it is true. Um, and the reason I say it is true is because um, besides the, the calls that we have received, some of the videos that we have seen, 
um, of people being shot with, you know, someone clear, by someone clearly dressed in police or military uniform, um, including some of these um, uniformed non-military, I don't know whether they, they should be paramilitary, um, task force members, um, you know, set up, established by the executive. But the, 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 the second reason why I say um, I believe that these are true is that the um, government established National Human Rights Commission itself um, released a report two weeks ago um, indicating that they had received direct reports from um, eyewitnesses, from family members um, of the victims of these extrajudicial killings by um, law enforcement and security forces, including these um, so-called um, members of, the, of, of task forces. And they gave the number as 18, and they said that that number is, at that time, was double um, the number of people who have died from the coronavirus disease itself. And it isn't just in Nigeria, but actually across the entire continent, where reports of misconduct by security forces are common. The question isn't whether this is happening, but perhaps whether it is the price we have to pay in order to curb the spread of the dangerous virus. I'm pleased to join all the soldiers of the Republic of South Africa tonight. This is an important evening, not only for yourself, but for the entire country. This is South African President Cyril Ramaphosa wearing military fatigues while addressing the army. To go out and wage war against an invisible enemy, coronavirus. The symbolism is clear. We are at war. And in a war, it seems to be implied, one must expect casualties and limits on certain freedoms. And that is indeed also what we are experiencing. This is senior researcher Otieno Namwaya from Human Rights Watch in Kenya. Uh, I think there are many rights that have been limited. The question is whether they are justified or not. Uh, so if you are talking of generally what has been limited, then we have, uh, first of all, the right to life, like in Kenya where people have been killed. And then we have, um, of course, freedom of movement. Uh, we have uh, freedom of association. And to a great extent, freedom of speech, because uh, in many of these countries, we have not had uh, public input in even deciding some of the measures uh, that are being put in place. And uh, where the authorities are going wrong and providing information there, nobody has, the, has had a space to even question or interrogate what the authorities are doing. This, of course, isn't a simple situation. Not for governments and not for people. When looking across the globe, even wealthy countries in the global north are in danger of collapse under the weight of a microscopic virus. So isn't some heavy-handed policing and staying indoors a small price to pay to avoid disaster? So there are different corners, right? Different streets and different streets has different names. So usually you would have a couple of buildings in the streets, let's say 100 or 200. At close proximities, which makes it even difficult or makes it easier rather for a spread of, of a virus as such because people live in close proximity. Like there's no such thing as 
oh, I have a fancy view. If you look through your window, you're looking at someone else's room. <laughs> so that's how it is. This is Home Zawa, a filmmaker from Lagos in Nigeria. He's describing what his street looks like in the middle of the lockdown. And on the street itself, you'd see a woman on the side of the road selling a basket of tomatoes and pepper. And they also ground it for you. So there's business activities, money is exchanging hands, right? And then down from there, you'd see another woman selling food ingredients. You can buy your food stuff from her. Then she sells bread and some basic stuff as well, like your your normal groceries, like um, bread, milk, you know. And there's, there's also a guy on the side of the street that does um, money transfer. So you give him, you give him cash and then he can transfer it to someone else's account. It's almost like a mini bank. Or you, you don't want to go to the ATM to withdraw money. You give him your ATM card, he punches it on his POS and he gives you cash. So there's, there's this small, small businesses different in different form. And there's also someone, even the barber saloons, they're open. The hairdressers, I don't know who is beautifying himself to stay at home, but but like, but life goes on as usual, like like there's no pandemic. According to Holmes, the enforcement of the lockdown is mainly confined to traveling between neighborhoods and on main roads. But considering the basic facts of the notoriously overpopulated megacity, maybe enforcing a strict lockdown is actually unrealistic. Due to how the economy is structured and the kind of businesses that people do, there are a lot of people that can't afford to just sit at home and do nothing. They're going to starve to death. We don't have provision for that. So I foresee people breaking the law and trying to make ends meet because life goes on. They have to sell, they have to trade, they have to make money, they have to feed their family. Like there are different kinds of silence during the lockdown across the world, there also needs to be different ways of addressing the crisis. Framing the pandemic like a war might be an effective way of stressing that it's all very serious. But enforcing regulations that force people to effectively choose between starvation and breaking the law is a recipe for human rights abuse. This is Mausi Sikun, Executive Director for Human Rights Watch Africa again. For example, here in Nigeria, the, the lockdown has gone on for four weeks. Four weeks is a long time for people to go without income to go without food, uh, replenishing their food stock, whatever they, they got into the, 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 the lockdown period with, um, couldn't have lasted this long. They do not have the, the facilities to store or preserve food for extended periods. And so there must be an accompanying um, uh, flexibility and understanding that a lot of the people on this continent are poor people. They're people who earn daily wages and that recognition would mean that we moderate um, the lockdown and, and the restrictions um, with, with that acknowledgement and understanding. From a human rights perspective, it's easy to feel gloomy about the current situation. Because of the unprecedented health crisis, governments are able to justify limiting freedoms and human rights abuse. But according to Mausi Sikun, the crisis isn't all bad for human rights in Africa. It can trigger um, some, some 
assessment of what currently exists and um, and um, the need to invest more in economic and social infrastructure, including the provision of basic services um, on health, for example. We've seen senior government officials who ordinarily would have jetted out to well-equipped facilities outside the continent and now stock um, with using the same local facilities that they failed to adequately resource. And so hopefully um, this, this situation has, will force people, um, especially government officials, to sit back and assess and decide to make a decision on um, how best to invest. And um, knowing that you know, one person infected in one part of the world could mean this type of lockdown and um, the rest of us um, are put at risk. And um, understanding that the, the, the fact that you're in government today does not mean that you would always be there forever. So a lack of investment in all of this and a lack of protection of human rights, whether it's civil and political or economic and social rights, um, would come back to bite every one of us in future if we don't take care of them now. So there is a silver lining to the whole thing. Absolutely. That's, that's the way I, I like to look at it. Even as we deal with these COVID-related challenges, let's remember to keep our hands clean and avoid body contact to limit the spread of the virus. Our friends in South Sudan composed a song to remind us of what's at stake. Prevention is better than cure. You need to wash your hands regularly. Avoid body contacts and over gatherings. Political leaders and church leaders. Prevention is better than cure. You need to wash your hands regularly. Avoid body contacts and over Take precautions, you can save a life COVID-19, man this is not a joke The whole world is crying, everyone's a victim Better wash your hands regularly and sanitize If you have cough and flu, you should isolate Government's becoming weaker, people living in fear There is no one to trust, and there is no cure Half a dozen measures, just to keep you safe Stay safe, stay home, better quarantine huh? Better quarantine Corona po be de tuo me tuku en
Let's Fight Coronavirus was prepared and compiled by Akule George Caps. Vocals and chorus were done by Onyanga Ambrose Liberty. And the Arabi verse song was done by Taben Emmanuel. Mastering was done by Ambrose Liberty. If you like what we do, please share our podcast with your friends. Subscribe to our newsletter by going to our website at www.soundafrica.org. Send an email to info at soundafrica.org or subscribe to our channel on YouTube to get more of our content. Reporting and editing in this episode was done by Rasmus Bits. Story editing by Kelly Eve Kwapman. Additional reporting by David Lomuria in Nairobi, Kenya. Music in this episode is by Ray Piri and the Soweto Gospel Choir. I'm Jedi Ramalapa. Merci beaucoup. Mucho obrigado. Shukran katir. Asante sana. Baya danki. Ralebocha kudukudu. Thank you for listening. Stay safe and sound. Thank you.